Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. We are excited to share our guest with you today. Ron Carucci is co-founder and managing partner at Navalent, working with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. He has a 30-year track record helping some of the world's most influential executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 10s, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth, he has worked in more than 25 countries on four continents. In addition to being a regular contributor to HBR and Forbes, and has been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Business Insider, MSNBC, Inc., Business Week, Smart Business, and Thought Leaders. Enjoy this episode. Well, welcome to the Action Catalyst, everyone, and a great welcome to Ron Carucci, who's coming with us today from Seattle. Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Good. Well, as we just heard in your introduction, you specialize in making lots of changes in lots of people's heads that help them change organizations to be the better. But you've had a long career yourself in which you've had to reinvent and transform and make these changes in you. I wonder if you'd mind giving us just the briefest of, of autobiographies of some of the, the main pivot points that you've encountered along the way. Gosh, um, where, where to start? I, I began my career in the arts, so far away from organizational psychology. Um, I began my career in New York City uh, performing uh, and had some early success in my career, uh, went to school to train for that. Um, and, uh, you know, probably chose schools because of their prestige rather than because I really belonged there. And so, you know, began a pattern, unfortunately, in my career of, of trying to get into places to prove something that maybe I didn't need to prove. But quickly learned that I bored easily. So all my friends would be like, wow, what a great job you got. And I'd be thinking, I have to do the same thing eight times a week for how long? <laughs> um, and after several years in New York doing well and changing schools because it, uh, you know, I didn't fit. I, I started my career at Juilliard and didn't, that wasn't really a great fit for me. Um, went to, you know, change schools again. But then I, but then I realized that this, I, I I wasn't comfortable in my own skin, but I didn't know why. I was su succeeding on the outside, but because in that field at the time, working was succeeding. Um, I, I took a job with a um, a company that toured. Uh, so I got to go tour the United States. I toured all over Europe. Um, and, and it was an interesting organization because it, it, it blended a, a variety of media and arts to teach and train. Uh, and in one uh, particular uh engagement we were doing, uh, we were, um, we, the company had contracts with the U.S. military and state department and government agencies to do work with them. And we were at the chapel at Dachau. So none of the, the irony was not lost on anybody of all the things we were there to talk about. And we had Germans and Americans and civilians and military in the room. Now, back then they didn't have the term diversity and inclusion, hmm. but if they did, that's what this workshop would have been about. And uh, in the middle of the program, uh, a, a soldier, not probably not much older than I, stood up and 
in a very vulnerable, courageous way, said, I, I'm really just so tired of being trained to hate. Um, and I was stunned that he said it. I was more perplexed that something we could have done up on the platform would have made him think that. And I wanted to know more about that. So we processed the conversation with the group in a really you know, meaningful way. But I, afterwards, we went out for a beer because it's Munich and that's what you do. Um, and I wanted to understand like how how did he connect those dots? And what, I wanted to know more about his story. And I think that was the beginning turning point for me uh, of realizing, you know, telling great stories is really interesting, but helping people engage their story, that's never going to be boring for me. Uh, and that's meaningful. And so I think that's where I, 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 my Queen Mary career at the ripe old age of 20, whatever, began to turn. Um, and I, I began to move my career into human behavior and or psychology and came back to the United States and did more training and a graduate degree there and took jobs inside companies to do OD kind of work. But I also quickly learned that I had this nasty habit of just saying what I thought, which isn't always politically smart. And I wasn't that savvy. And sometimes it was brash. And I just thought that I was what I was supposed to do. And over my period of time, I began to go choose companies because I wanted to prove something and got inside them and wasn't politically savvy to be there and began to collect. My children love this collection because it meant more time with them. I began to collect severance packages, hmm. uh, which clued me in that maybe working inside companies was not going to be good for me um, because I, I realized, well, in between these corporate jobs, I work on my own. Um, and I realized, you know, the same behaviors that get me in a little bit of hot water inside companies get me paid pretty well outside companies. So maybe if I'm going to express and embody my passion for organizations, it's going to have to be by not being part of one. Um, and then began to shift my career to outside the company companies. And I think that's where I really found my home. I found that, you know, ancient wisdom says you can't be a prophet in your own land. And there's a reason for that. Um, but I telling the truth is important to me and helping organizations be honest with themselves so they can become their best selves is how we do what we do. And that's hard to do as an insider. And so began my career as an external consultant and, uh, you know, again, some more twists and turns because I realized on my own, I, you know, at that point, I, I was too young to have a whole career on my own. I didn't know. And I knew I didn't know enough. I knew, I knew I didn't have the right experiences and I wanted to influence leaders. And so I went to a wonderful firm that was sort of the, you know, the, the pinnacle of my field. If you went to this firm, it really was the the arrival. And there I didn't have to prove myself because I was you know, I, I, I'd earned my way in and it was a, I was there for about eight years and it was a marvelous experience. I learned a ton, but the firm got sold, um, to a bigger firm. And anytime, you know, you get acquired, it's the love of the craft, you know, seeds way to the feeding of the dinosaur. Um, and that no longer became enjoyable for us. So a couple of us thought, you know, we still love this work a lot and it's our life's work. We can still go do this and do it on our own. So we left to go now. We didn't say, let's go start a firm. You know, so I mean, we couldn't be more accidental entrepreneurs. We said, let's go do this work together. So we didn't quite realize, oh, that means we're starting a firm. Hmm. Because once we did that, we realized, oh, we're going to need help. So we're going to have to like hire people. And if we want to do bigger projects, we're going to need more arms and legs to execute them. So all of a sudden we realized, oh, oh we're leading a firm. We, we should probably learn how to do that because we We've never done it before. So and then that, you know, the last 15 years, we've been still figuring out how to run a firm. Um, I don't know that I'd say we've 
nailed that by any means, but we're a good community of folks and we, we're all passionate about what we do at Navalent. And, uh, you know, we, we get the privilege of waking up every day, um, you know, making the world better than we found it. Um, the hard thing about what we do now is, you know, when we all began our careers. This was not a prominent field or psychology or development. Well, people did it, but many people got there by accident and there wasn't a cluttered space. In the last 10 years, everybody, their mother and uncle has become a coach, uh, is doing organizational work, is doing teamwork, is doing individual change work, and many are good at it, many are hacks. But there's hundreds of thousands of them out there now. And to the naked leader trying to get help, they can't tell the difference. And so, you know, in the last five years, the, 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 the latest reinvention of myself has been figuring out how, how do I help my firm set itself apart? How do I get good leaders to understand what they're getting in us versus somebody who has all the right words and doesn't know what they're doing? Um, and so that's a whole new set of muscles, a whole new set of skills. You know, doing the work as an expert and talking about the work and your expertise are are wildly different muscles, um, far more than I anticipated. So that's the reinvention we find ourselves in now and still learning. Wow. It's phenomenal. So you have been a practitioner and now you're a self-practitioner and dealing with all these change issues inside. I've always said that my purpose in life was to be a great change agent and to make other great change agents. Um, but applying that to me was never part of the bargain. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't think it was supposed to be, but the last five years have proven, you know, I, I so four years ago, I hired a coach for me. I went out and took my own medicine and have uh, been grateful to have that partner. And she's been an amazing ass kicking kind pushing um guy wise guide with me uh but it's not easy um you know at this point in my career when you're at the top of your field and doing the best work of your career learning a whole new thing about how to get access to do the things you love to do it's not uh fun wouldn't be the first word i would use to describe it mm -hmm. more gut gut wrenching mind bending Etc. That, that, that works. Those all work. That's it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so you discovered early on that you'd be hired as a consultant to tell people the truth. And then you realized you needed to do the same and hire an outside coach to tell you the truth. Yep. So. And I remember the day I got the feedback, you know, we do really comprehensive feedback reports. And I remember getting hers. My palms were sweaty and I was like that warm thing in my throat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to be on the other side of me. And I started reading the report and there were tears in my eyes and my stomach was nodding. And I'm like, oh, and it was all true. I, mean, I didn't, I wasn't dismissing any of it. It was all true. Um, and I asked some questions and then we had our debrief and I felt excited. I felt like, wow, I'm helpable. I'm, there's no, I'm, there's hope. Um, and she was very wise to not give me the whole plan. Because if she told me everything she was going to ask me to do, I would have fired her right there. Um, so she was wise in dosing. <laughs> Her, her advice into chunks I could, I, I could, you know, um, metabolize. Um, and it's been a wonderful, hard, but wonderful experience. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, clearly you have internal strategies to really keep your edge and to keep growing because you've been a very successful author. You're well known in your space. You could have coasted at some point along the way, Ron. And what, what did what? I want to? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. So, uh, what, what, causes you to keep striving and keep growing instead of just sort of fading out or coasting along? 
a mortgage helps. Oh, there you go. And kids' college tuition mm-hmm. helps. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I thought that when you arrived into your 50s, that was you, you got to sort of, you know, ride out your expertise. And all my friends are like, that's not you. You're not the you're not the golf guy. And it's I'm not. I am a I am a learning junkie. Um I love I prefer learning and loving to learn on my own terms. And so it's not felt like this has been on my own terms. That's been the hard part. And they're hard, they're hard muscles to learn. But I do care about what I do. Um, and I, I don't like when I hear from leaders, you know, when I walk into a situation or a, a large corporation and meet with a CEO, and I've heard about people who've been in before me and what they've done, and they've done more harm than good, and they've not been helpful, and they've left wakes of bodies and unfinished projects and unimplementable change behind them. And I've got to, you know, now go sort through all that. Or I've, I take on an executive who's been coached by two other people who, who missed the blaring obvious issues right in front of them because they didn't have good diagnostic tools, so they weren't trained. Um, and I, that makes me sad that our field, because of the mass proliferation of practitioners um, with no quality standards, um, that, that now we're all a sea of meh. And I don't like when people who have who've trusted themselves and their organizations and their corporations and their shareholders to outsiders for help um, didn't get it the way they needed to. <clears throat> and you know, we all get lumped together and our, all of our reputation suffers. So that makes me sad. And I care about our field and I care about the craft. So part of the making other great changes in my, in my own purpose is to make sure that we can raise the bar. Mm. Uh, this is a, this is a very sacred privileged craft. And if you're going to practice it, you got to do it well. And uh, uh, you know, a, a six month certificate from JC Penney's doesn't qualify you to go and give advice to an executive who's leading tens of thousands of people. Well, that's certainly true. The only way you can give that advice is if you've been there side by side with them and seen it happen, both for the good and not so good. Yep. Now, I know that one of the things that you did was lead a very long-term study. And one of the conclusions there was that about 50% of people appointed to a transformational leadership position fail within 18 months. What are some of the pitfalls that uh, yeah. that we can all try to avoid? That was a painful study. It, it started personally. It started with um, you know a phone call from a, an executive we had worked with who had in a massive transformation project had distinguished himself and gotten a much bigger job as a result. And people cheered him on and assumed he'd be great. And nine months in, he was let go and was call, calling to tell me he needed networking help. But I was shocked. And a couple hours later, a CEO called and said, we had to let him go. And it's because you didn't prepare him well, which of course was like a, a gut punch. And I'm like, wow, how, how could we so have misjudged? His, I mean, what we saw, it just it made no sense. I, I said, can I come in and sniff around and investigate? I just, I want to know what happened because I never want to be on the other side of this phone call again in my whole career. And that little investigation is what led to our 10-year study. We looked at 2,700 leaders across 10 years and isolated about 100 of them in mid-ascent to watch in slow, almost in slow motion. What, what is going on here? Where are all these landmines that they're stepping in coming from? And why isn't anybody warning them? And we were shocked to, to find just how many precipices there are to fall off of uh, when landing in a larger job. And I went back to that CEO and I said, you know what? I will take responsibility for not having warned him about all the landmines he was going to step in. You take responsibility for putting them there. <laughs> That's a good comment. Um, and it, it, I mean, it, it starts at the very beginning. We interview executives uh, for bigger jobs, whether they're inside companies or coming from outside companies. And we say things like, my gosh, look at these great teams you have led and turned around. That's what we need. Or, wow, you've built these great apps and technologies. That's what we're looking for here. 
or, oh my gosh, look at the supply chain you turned around. We're looking for the same kind of help here. And in those statements, we are sowing the seeds of failure because we are saying to somebody, you have a recipe, you have a formula, and we want you to apply it here. And we're giving them permission to sidestep the context, ignore the conditions, and come in and reapply success. So instead of reaching back to their past successes for wisdom, they reach back for a mindless application. And they come in and they start slapping on that formula. We've all seen this movie, right? And the harder they slap, people resist. Suddenly, this mythical mandate becomes an indictment as the diagnosis becomes a, how have you people made money? And say, you didn't tell me it was this bad. And suddenly now, you know, their halo becomes a noose and people start to back away. And, you know, after too much time, they're painfully exited and the, and the, and the story becomes, well, they weren't a good fit. <laughs> and that's just the beginning. But even if they get past that moment, the, the politics of what happens when you go from the middle to the top, how different the work is, how different the timelines are, how much more ambiguity and uncertainty there is. How do you let go of controls? How do you learn to tolerate the, uh, the, um, the longer range requirements, the politics of peers who are now are competitors, um, all the different relational dynamics that change at the top. Um, no one, no one warns you about that, right? We, we had, you know, 69% of the people in our study told us they were not prepared for any of that when they got their jobs and 70% of them or 72% of them got no ongoing help once they got the job. Hmm. So the things we found about how ill-prepared people were for the decision complications, um, they told, uh, leaders told us that I think two thirds of the leaders told us that they were not prepared for the political dynamics of the decisions or how complicated they were. Um, that the 60, one of the scary findings was 60% of them told us that more, more people ascribed more power to them than they actually believe they had themselves. And so the imposter syndrome that was imposed on them um, created incredible internal stressors for them. So um, it was astounding. We've known that statistic that you quite earlier for 20 years. Um, and of course, recruiters love it because it's an annuity for them. Mm-hmm. But that we've we've decided a 50-50 roll of the dice gamble on people's careers and their families is acceptable as a way to and it's not that about that executives are more important, you know, we're all equal in the eyes of the universe, but what we all can appreciate that the people at the top of our organization have a disproportionate degree of influence on the success of a company and are the people we invest least in. And are willing to take a 50-50 shot at whether or not we put one in there and have it go well. If that is not the definition of insanity, I don't know what is. <laughs> and so rising to power of the book was our effort to say we can we can stop this madness. This is all we 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 I mean we uncovered every landmine we could find and documented it in the book and said there, there are ways to get around this. And the, even the better the better news in the research was we we asked. We used a really cool IBM uh, Watson AI technologies to do some of the analytics, which is really phenomenal technology to, you know, to read and unearth meaning. We thought, well, if half of them are actually sticking the landing, if half of them are succeeding and thriving at the high altitudes, what are they doing? How, how are they making it? Can, is there any way we can separate out the, the B team from the A team to find out what success looks like and can we replicate it? And they, the most exciting part of the study was that we were able to isolate four very recurring patterns among the success group that set them apart and, and were responsible for their success. Um, so 
uh, not only can we warn you about the landmines that you're going to inevitably confront, we can tell you how to make it when you when you get there. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a very exciting study for us, and uh, it's been really exciting to watch um, uh, leaders you know have their careers change because they followed the advice. I think that's fantastic. And you talk about them as four differentiating characteristics. Mm-hmm. What's what's one that you think is going to be surprising to people? Which one of the four? And I'm sure they all are. Which one is sort of a, uh, the, they go, wow. Um, so breadth, we call it breadth. And so one of the challenges of many leaders as they rise up at organizations is they rise up with a, with, within a, a silo. They come up through marketing. And so they see the world through consumers. They rise up through finance, see the world economically. They rise up through operations and see the world as cost structures. You know, and so you know, at the, at organizations by natural scaling fragment, they become pieces pull apart. They silo, they become divided, they become rival rivalrous. And a leader's job at the top is to create cohesion, right? You have to find the, the seams and stitch them. Um, but if you're don't aren't aware of your biases, you're gonna f- fragment things more. Breath means you can build bridges. You can you go from playing first chair violin to being conductor and and make a, a harmonious sound. You you no longer see the world through functions, you see the world through capabilities, right? So you no longer see marketing. R&D and consumer analytics, you see innovation. And you're not, you're not particularly you know, uh, inclined to care about the boundaries of those functions. You care about how they blend together to create innovation. That's what, you're, that's what that your remit is to the organization. So your job is to make those things coalesce into that capability and blur those seams. Um, and leaders who had breadth could build bridges across those divides rather than further fragment the organization. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, well, this is the way we do it in finance, it's more a matter of what are the needs, right. where are we headed, what are our capabilities, what's the market doing, yep. much more holistic and, and long-range and, view. That's a great list. And which of those pieces don't I, don't I know enough about right. to shepherd and go learn them? Well, do you find it's difficult for some people to admit they don't know something about something? Oh, sure. Especially at that level where it's not safe to, right? You're, spo- you're supposed to be the answer ATM. When you arrive in a your vice president or your senior vice president job, and so the the idea of modeling that vulnerability and saying let's go find out or I want to learn, um, and we even you know we've all heard the you know oh I'm just going to spend my first ninety days listening and learning you know mm-hmm. then two weeks in where task forces are formed and dust is kicking up and consultants are in and uh, so much for ninety days of listening and learning, um, but yeah no it's very difficult to recognize that when you get a seat up there uh, you're starting over. You, mm-hmm. you mean when you go from the the operating system to the coordinating system, the middle where you're translating daily priorities, it's a it's a leap. But when you go from the coordinating system to the strategic system, it is an order of magnitude difference in the in, in the very activities and work and the very things that you were gratified by, the very things that distinguished you and set you apart are now going to be your liabilities at the top. Your rugged individualism is no longer an asset. Your results orientation is no longer you know, the asset in the same way because results take longer to get. Um, and, and, and your pathologies are not going to be amplified. So if you're moody as a middle manager, you're going to cast a dark cloud of our whole enterprise at the top. If you're, you know, um, uh, um, cautious in the middle of an organization, your indecisiveness is going to paralyze the enterprise at the top. So your pathologies don't get better with age like wine. They actually become darker and more grittier and and more exposed at the top. And that's not the time to suddenly discover you have problems, right? Right. Well, because under stress, most of us revert to type. And if we think our yep. type is a certain way, it's not necessarily going to fit. 
It's like enrolling right. the flying the flying squirrel in the hundred meter butterfly. Might be a great flying right. squirrel, exactly but it's right. a whole different arena. So that's amazing. And and but but it's a great point. But we 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 reach what's familiar. We reach the levers we know, and we pull them harder. And we think if we pull them more intensely, something will actually change. Mm-hmm. So you're doing this with clients, and also watching your own business grow at the same time. Um, Ron, you're, you're trying. Yeah. And, and, and you're doing it and you're totally an encourager. But my question is, have you ever hit a complete brick wall where you just didn't know what to do next? And, and what do you do when that happens? Uh, I, I feel like I live at that brick wall. I feel like, you know, these last couple of years I've lived there um, and it's painful. It's because, because sometimes you have to wait for an answer to appear, right? Sometimes you have to, you know, um, and you become paralyzed in, uh, feelings of inadequacy or frustrations or entitlement. Um, you get, you become embittered. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very familiar with that brick wall. Um, and you, and the, 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 the thing I'm, I'm learning to, to do is to ask for help. You have to, you, 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 the worst thing you can do is to isolate and spin a narrative in your head about what that brick wall means. Um, and what it's telling you, uh, probably to very inaccurate interpretations and I'm trying to learn to not do that. I, I can't, I try to give myself a C minus today, but, um, but, but those walls are there. I think the universe puts them there for reasons, but I don't, they're not fun. Um, and, and what does perseverance and grit mean? When do you sort of, you know, put a dream down and pursue a different direction? Um, when do you, com- what, what does compromise really mean? When do you give up part of a dream for the better service of a bigger part of a dream? Uh, these are tough questions. Um, and you know, yours and my peer group, right? If you read the research, um, it's not boding well for our peers, the sense of meaningless and purposelessness and futility and depression, um, and even you know, suicidal tendencies of men in their mid fifties is now at an all time high as people reach pinnacles of their career, recognize that their career is probably going to go on for another 20 or 30 years than they probably expected to. And they're not sure what, 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 what has been the point of it all. And can I look back at my life and feel proud and thrilled about what my mark on the world has been? Do I, can I even detect what it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a, these are moments in our life. And, and it's common. There's a great article in the Atlantic by Arthur Brooks. Um, most of us, you know, written for us and we read it around, you know, how, how, how do you, how do you face that moment of purposelessness in your early fifties? And what do you do with it? Um, and it's a sobering moment. Um, but I think in this day and age, where we have five generations in the workplace, all trying to figure out our, our role in the world and, um, careers extending much further into life than they used to. And which means your earning potential has to stay at a certain height and, you know, wh- whatever your version of retirement was going to be is being upended. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things, of uh, questions of fundamental identity come into play when you hit that wall. Um, and, uh, you know, finding that grace to stop at that wall and not resent it or punch it, but to just sort of face it for what it is and inquire why it's there and, and be honest about what you did to put it there and what you didn't do to put it there. Um, and, you know, maintain hope Mm -hmm. in the face of the brick prints in your forehead. Um, uh, those are all difficult difficult moments and you have to have people who are loving and caring for you around you doing that isolation is probably the most toxic fuel of of the darkness of those moments well it's because we end up spending all of our time with our own worst enemy 
ourselves when we're we're in isolation and this and and the the unfortunate misinterpretive stories we tell ourselves about that moment right i really appreciate the fact you use the word hope ron because there's this common quote well hope is not a strategy well that may be true but i think hope is an essential element before we embark on anything you know we're not going to get out of bed if there's no hope and um i it is it is a essential agreement i just i'm doing some writing recently and I, i wrote a whole section in a chapter about hope how uh, if you can, now it's one of the most dangerous things to ask of an organization, because if you ask of an organization hope and they give it to you and you dash it, you're a villain and they'll never give it to you again. So I, I caution my leaders when they're about to embark on some journey, do not ask your organization for hope, especially if you've dashed it before or someone else before you did. Um, if you don't intend to do whatever it takes to help them realize that hope, because it's cruel. Um, but it is the fuel for any transformative journey. Um, and, and it only is required when there's no evidence for, for having it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, that, that's the very essence of hope. There's no evidence to give it in the first place. That's why you need it, right? Um, it, if, I, if I was going to put a bunch of chips on the, on the roulette table, knowing full well the number I was going to have was going to land on it, what, what's the risk there, right? When I'm going to give you my heart, soul, ideas, career, to go on in some journey with you with no evidence to support that this is going to work out well, hope is the only opportunity you have. Um, and, and if you ask of people that kind of faith um, and don't deliver everything you possibly can to realize those hopes, um, that's, I think that's the definition of organizational cruelty. Um, but you're absolutely right. It is a, f- f- without it, there's no strategy. I mean, it, hope isn't a strategy, but it's a fundamental ingredient in executing one. Mm-hmm. Just to just to get anything going, as uh, Saint Paul said, it is the substance of things hoped for, and it and is the evidence seen. of things not seen. Yep. and that's so powerful. Uh, Ron, I cannot believe how fast this time has gone. Can Can you share just a couple of words for our listeners that have hit a brick wall themselves, and they are they're just not sure what to do? They've they've looked at the hand that they've been dealt. There's not a single face card. Uh, the odds are against them. Um, mm-hmm. What? What would you recommend? You've dealt with lots of people that have faced lots of setbacks. How do you help people just take that breath and get it together mm-hmm. in one, two, three steps? If At, first of all, um, you, you, your interpretation of that wall is highly unreliable. Just start hmm. with that assumption. Um, you're too close to it. Um, for sure, you you had some hand in getting there. Um, and you, you're, you're wondering what, where did I miss the exit behind me? Right. It's like, it's that, it, that horrible moment on the highway where you suddenly realized it said the sign says, welcome to Ohio. And you were headed to like, you know, Philadelphia. Um, so recognize that it's unlikely going to be quick that the wall goes away, get help, get a therapist, get a coach, get a spiritual director, get a team of people around you, get a, get a physical trainer because you need to be physically moving to keep your brain from storing all kinds of unhealthy chemicals in it um, and, and make sure that whatever dark side you are lured to um, you are not vulnerable. Make sure you protect yourself from the places you want to go to self-soothe and quiet your anxious soul. Um, whether you know that's a substance or an activity, you know, to be unhealthy. Um, so put in place the guardrails you need to navigate that moment. And even if it means being still, so get the team around you, you need immediately. Um, and then start asking questions about, um, the, the, again, hope. The, the, the dangerous question to ask yourself, but the most important question to ask yourself is now, what do I want? <laughs> what do yeah. I desire? 
I we, want to not be here. <laughs> right. And that's a, that's a not desire, right? Yeah, but, yeah. but I, so I want to be out of pain, but then the absence of pain doesn't necessarily mean the presence Joy. of something you want. Right. So what do you want? And listen to your desires. Um, because my guess is that what most people find at that brick wall is that it wasn't that they overindulged desires, it's that they ignored them. Mm-hmm. And, and you, now it's time to be honest about what desires, what obligations put you in the front of that wall at the expense of things you really wanted. And, and what is the pathway toward, because I think we find out who we're meant to be in the world through our desires. I think it's our, our deepest longings that reveal who we're supposed to be in the world. And you have to go deeper and listen to those things to understand that. And there may be origin stories uh, that you've not addressed. There may be narratives in your life that got shaped many, many years ago that are shaping behaviors that aren't productive. Now you have to go now and face those origin stories. This is a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognize that the you know, tell yourself, you know what? I don't like this brick wall, but it's probably going to be a year, you know, if I have to go be a barista at Starbucks to earn money, if I don't have a job, I would do what you have to do, but recognize that the rest of your life is worth the planning time to navigate away from this brick wall. Um, you know, just scaling it to get it behind you is likely going to mean that you're going to see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often think the term leave of absence is incorrect. It should be leave of presence so yeah. that we get a chance to be more present to what's going on Absolutely. inside. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Ron, I'm looking forward to reading rising to power. Um, and learning more from you as time goes on. I love, I love your approach to this whole thing. I love your, your humility, your honesty. Uh, clearly, that's had a big impact on organizations because as the saying goes, when the person is right, their world is right, and you're constantly working on your person. I can tell that. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. You bet. Well, thank you so much for being on the Action Catalyst, and keep fighting the good fight. It's worth it. Thanks, my friend. You take good care. Thanks for your good work. Will do. World. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.